Grab a seat. And howdy. Howdy. Yeah. Woo. We are back. And I just want to, before we jump in, tell you a little bit about myself, and then I want to know a little bit about you. My name is Kevin Vera. I'm the college pastor here at Grace Southwood. So glad to start this semester with you guys. Uh, this is absolutely amazing. Who, I just got to know, who, who, who's here? I mean, is there anyone from the class of 2023 that made it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's... Stellar. You guys found it. Grace College, congratulations. You guys are amazing. And what about class of 2022? Any sophomores in there? Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. I, I'm, I'm glad we're building some things that are even bigger, though. What, would anyone from class of 2021 happen to be... Woo! Okay, no, no joke. The, the, when I came uh, this morning, we had lots of volunteers coming early. I, I asked one girl, I said, what, is, what are you most excited about? She's like, that moment when I get to finally whoop. It's so good. And, and anyone from the class of 2020, did you guys make it? Wow. Loud and proud. Not even good, but... <laughs> and just because there may be some still stragglers hanging around. Uh, anyone from the class of 2019... Yes, and for those like true, true Aggie fans, truly dedicated to Aggie land, anyone from the class of 2018 happened to be, <gasps> dedication people, dedication, they're here for the love of the game, all right. Well, I am so excited to start this semester. I'm so excited to start our, our moment together. But for those of you that are new, I just want to explain what, what we do here. What does it look like? Well, it begins with this. We start with worship because we believe that God should be worshiped and honored above all other things. And so we are going to spend time singing songs to Jesus Christ. Amen? And then we are going to learn from the scripture. We're going to be looking at Psalm 19 this morning. We are going to open up the word of God because we believe that the word of God changes lives. And so we are going to study and read from the Bible, the word of God. And then after this moment, we're going to have an opportunity to break into table discussion groups. So we do worship and sermon here, and you're going to walk out these doors. There are some amazing table hosts around you. So if you're a table host, let's go ahead and just stand up for everyone real quick so everyone can kind of see you. Yes, thank you, thank you. These people um, are a little uh, one or two steps down the road from you, and they have wisdom that you do not possess. And their heart, I'll tell you this, their heart is to help you navigate your time in college and help you make better decisions along the way. They have experience, they have so many things to offer you guys, and they have dedicated their time to, to be here with you guys. And here's another kind of piece of that, um, our table discussion. When you go there, there will be some discussion moments, but they will also host events for you. Events for you to come to, come to a house here. Some of you guys are from Dallas, Houston, wherever, and you've actually never been into an adult home in College Station. Uh, they exist here. And these folks have dedicated their time because they want to connect with you. And so I encourage you to connect with them. They've, they've handed out two pieces of paper about where the tables are. Encourage you to go uh, check out that table host after our time together. Um, the, the next thing, one last little announcement before we get start stuff, is, is this. Um, we have an app called 
the YouVersion app. It's not our app, but we are partnering with it. Um, our sermon series, these first four weeks, are actually going to be on the YouVersion app. And it's not progressing for me, Ryan, so you're going to have to help me out. But um, uh, the, the YouVersion app, and if you search God of Creation, God of Creation, you can get a, a devotional study through YouVersion where you can follow along and grow in your relationship with God individually in the scripture. So I encourage you to go to YouVersion, download the app if you don't have it already, and then follow along with us through this series. All right, that's enough announcements. You ready for the Bible? Let's do it. Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Let's read a couple verses. I'll pray, and then we will jump in. Psalm chapter 19, starting in verse 1, says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveal knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the ends of them, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. They shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this moment. We're in the midst of a public university. We can find Christians that aren't just interested in the things of God, but are passionate about the things of God. And I thank you for each person that came here this morning to grow in relationship with you or to maybe see for the first time what this Christian thing is all about. So Lord, as we open up your word and we dig into it, I pray that you would open up our hearts, that we might connect with you deeply in this place. And I can't do that. We need your spirit to come to open us up. So please, spirit, come. Jesus, open our hearts through the power of your spirit that we might know you and love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting a series on the God of creation. And the first talk is this, it's immensity. The immensity of God. God is bigger than anything you can fathom. He is, he is more impressive than anything that you have ever seen. God is huge in his impact. But I'll tell you what, sometimes it's difficult to know exactly how big God is. But I want to ask you a question as we jump in. Why are you here? At one level, it could be a geographical question. Why are you physically here? Every time I go to the mall for uh, back-to-school shopping, I'm still one of those people that actually goes to a physical mall, uh, not in front of a screen, but where there's people and clothes to try on. Uh, anyone else in the world go to the mall? No? The rest of y'all, no. I don't, why would I do that? I have Amazon. Okay, fair enough. 
But actually go to the physical mall, and as soon as I get there, you're going to have to progress for me. I go uh, to this one location at the mall. They have a sign with lettering across that says directory. And on that map that says directory, I know you can do it on your phone and navigate, but I like to go to the map. I don't know why. And I go to the map, and always there's a sticker when you walk in, it says this, you are here. And that that answer, you are here, is extremely important because I want to know where I am in relation to everything else. But there's a second step you need in that process. Not only do you need to know where you are, secondly, you need to know what you're here to get. And I don't know how you are shopping if you ever go to the mall. I'm on a mission. So this summer, I took my four kids. I have four amazing kids, a nine-year-old daughter named Peyton, a seven-year-old son named Micah, a six-year-old son named Jesse, and a three-year-old daughter named Juju, Juliet. Uh, and she, they are precious kids. But at the mall, they are easily distractible, right? And so as we're going, we're walking through the mall. And, and so we went uh, to this one outlet center mall uh, outside of Houston, and we're walking along different areas, and you see the Disney store over there on the side. And immediately their first question is, Daddy, um, I know you have an agenda. I know you have things that you're going to get. But can we spend some time in the Disney store? And Daddy's smart. Daddy knows he will spend millions of dollars at Disney if I let them trick me. And so I'm like, no, children, we're going this direction. But I want to ask you this question. Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here at at Texas A&M University in College Station? Some of you are like, no, Kevin, I have no idea. My parents dropped me off in the dorm alone. <laughs> I slept there last night. I curled up and I just went, oh, it's just me here. And, 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 and them and, and me, you know. I, that was my experience the first night in the dorm. I was like, it's, it's, it's just me here. Others of you, you're old upperclassmen, you're like, no, thank God. I'm here, back <laughs> to College Station. And this is, this is where I want to be, Yes. <laughs> For others of you, it's not a geographical question, it's a personal question. Why are you here? Why are you at Texas A&M University? For some of you, it's, I want to get an education. For others of you, it's like, I don't, I want the other education, right? Like, I'm here to create crazy memories, right? That other part of it. For some of you, you're like, no, I'm, I'm here to meet the one, right? Like, that's, that's why you're here. You're like, ah, nerve slapping. Uh, <laughs> But there's a deeper, even level to the question, why are you here? And it's this. Why do you exist? Why, what are you here on earth to do? And the Bible has an answer to that. Right, the Bible has a huge answer to that big question, why you are here. What are you here on earth to do? And, and in the catechism, the Westminster Catechism says this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so I love that description because it's not just rote obedience to God. It's to glorify him. It's to live a life that's honoring to him. And, that, and in doing that, you enjoy God forever. But the problem is, the challenge for that is, is this, that most of us have a small size view of God. And because we have a small size view of God, we have a big sized view of us. And some of you are like, oh, Kevin, I don't know. I think God's a pretty big deal. I think he's a, I think he's a big being. But I would ask you to look at your life decisions. As you look at your life decisions, what is the primary? What is the center of your life decisions? Just think about what you're going to do after this morning. You're going to ask this, yourself the question, where do I want to go to lunch? <laughs> right? You're asking yourself the question as you go through school, what do I want to major in? 
As you go along, you're going to meet a lot of cute, nice people, and you're going to ask yourself the question, who do I want to date? Then you're going to ask the question when you're graduating, where do I want to live when I graduate? And some of us, table hosts in the moment, you're going to ask yourself this question, where do I want to retire? And not that those are bad questions, not that those are evil questions, but the problem is this, in the center of those questions, it reveals what's in the center of our hearts. And for many of us, what is in the center of our hearts is us. We are what we orbit our life around because we have a very small view of the grandeur, the bigness of our God. And for millennia, even the ancients have been looking to answer this question. Why are we here? What are we here to do? In fact, there's some cave drawings even in in France, some of the earliest cave drawings in La Salle in South France. They're etchings to believe, to, to show the constellations because the ancients would look to the stars to find meaning for this place. And so they would look up to the heavens, they would look up to the stars and say, why are we here? What is this all about? And so they would look there to find meaning. The ancient Greeks would do the same thing. They would look at the constellations and they would peer there. And what's interesting is they would peer into the heavens. They wouldn't see really what God is like. They would see us. And so they created stories about those constellations. We have Orion the hunter. We have Virgo the virgin. We have the Pleiades. All of these about cosmic conflict in the heavenlies, in the universe. But some 2,000 years earlier, from some of those earliest writings from the Greeks, there's a few people on the earth that God interacted with. And he told them to look into the heavens. And he didn't tell them to look into the heavens to find out why you're here. He told you, look into the heavens to discover how big I am and how small you are. Genesis 15. He tells Abraham, the OJ, the original Jew, right? He told Abraham, he pulled him. <laughs> I can't believe that worked. Uh, he pulled Abraham over and he tells him, I've got a great plan for your future. I've got a great plan for your life. Don't look in the stars to find the plan. You look in the stars to be overwhelmed in the immensity. He says, count the stars if you can. Look into the heavens if you're able to count them. And he said, so shall your descendants be. Abraham, I've got a future for you that's much bigger than you can fathom. To Job. Job, who was upset at God in his life and, and trying to, to figure out why God would make his life go so bad, God points him to the heavens to overwhelm him. In Job chapter 38, verse 31, he says this, Can you bind the chain of the Pleiades? Or can you loose the cords of Orion? You look into the stars. Can you control those things? And, and his point is this, Job, you can't control what I've created. It's too vast for you to imagine. See, creation is pointing to something. Creation is pointing to the immensity of the creator. God set creation in motion to reveal the immensity of the creator. He's revealing himself. And about 1,000 B.C., a young shepherd boy is walking through the hills of Bethlehem, and he penned the psalm that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 19. And I imagine David, as he's watching sheep walking through the hills of Bethlehem, looking up at the stars, being overwhelmed in the immensity, and he pins one of the most beautiful psalms that is recorded in Scripture, Psalm 19. And he says something about the heavens. He says this, the heavens are declaring something. They're declaring the glory of God. 
and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pour forth speech and night to night reveal knowledge. There's no speech, no words whose voice is not heard. He says this about creation as he looks into the heavens. They're declaring something. They're proclaiming something. They're pouring forth speech. And what are they pouring forth? It says they're revealing the glory of God. It's the Hebrew word kabod. It means weightiness, grandeur. It's, it's the heaviness, the grandeur of God. It's revealing that in creation. But to be honest, thinking about the vastness of creation is difficult to fathom. In fact, you live in a universe that is immense. And there was a few guys that actually took the time to try to put that into scale, how big the universe is. I want you to watch this video that describes the bigness of our universe. If you look up an image of the Earth and Moon, you're going to get a picture where they're quite close together. Something like that. But in reality, the Earth and Moon are about about that far apart. That is the Earth and the Moon to scale. To create a scale model with an Earth only as big as this marble, you need seven miles of empty space. So that's why we're here. Why did you guys come? I don't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> At this scale, the sun is a meter and a half, so about, about that big around. So we are driving right now to Mercury, and we've arrived. Venus is the same size as Earth. robots rolling around on that one. So right now it's about 7 a.m. We just woke up right before the sun's about to rise. We are on the Earth's orbit. Wiley is over there holding our sun. Cue the dramatic sunrise music. So if we've made our model correctly, your perspective from where Earth is on the model will match your perspective from standing on the real Earth. So if you look back at the sun, you will see that the model sun and the real sun are the exact same size. That's how you can tell that the proportions are correct. We are on a marble floating in the middle of nothing. When you sort of come face to face with that, it's, it's staggering. It's amazing to contemplate how big the universe is. 
This is a marble in my hand, if you can't see it from the back. If this represented earth, the sun would be about five feet in diameter. So if you kind of did this with your arms, if you're, you know, a decent sized person, or if you're really tall, I'm sorry, you're like, that's not, you're like going to be like this. But in scale and and some five miles apart, as as you look at the different placements of there, the scale is absolutely huge. And as you think about the sun and its brightness, it's actually overwhelming. The sun itself is 800,064 miles in diameter, which makes it 109 times larger than the earth. It's roughly 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit and 27 million degrees Fahrenheit at its core. It is, it is a boiling hot mass of explosions, but it's not even the biggest star out there. There's a larger one called a red giant named Betelgeuse. It's in the Orion uh, cluster, the Orion Nebula. And that larger uh, body, the Betelgeuse, is so large in space. I have an image, um, a couple things ahead. Our solar system, if, if Betelgeuse was at the center of our solar system, it would literally overwhelm all of our planetary orbits. Um, the, the furthest orbit that it shows is that of Saturn, but everything inside of Saturn would literally be burned to pieces because of the scale of this star. It's absolutely huge, but not only the scale of stars, there's the scale of, of, of our galaxy. This is our neck of the woods. The Milky Way galaxy. These are composing the visible stars that you see. And from one end of the other of the Milky Way galaxy, it is 100,000 light years across. So let's think about that. If we could stick you in a ship and we wanted you to go to the other side to visit some friends, you know, on the other side of the Milky Way galaxy. If we could shoot you at the speed of light from one end to the other, it would take you a hundred thousand years to go visit mom on the other side. What's the point? You couldn't do it. It's so immense and we're a pretty average sized galaxy in space. And when you think about the immensity of creation, it is literally overwhelming. In fact, many scientists have looked at the immensity of the universe as they've seen how big everything is. They don't come to the conclusion that God is big. They actually come to the opposite. One individual is uh, Bill Nye, the science guy. He, in 2010, he was accepting the award of Humanist of the Year. And he wrote this. He said this, I'm insignificant. I'm just another speck of sand, and the earth really in the cosmic scheme of things, is another speck. And the sun is an unremarkable star. And the galaxy is a speck. And I'm a speck on a speck, orbiting a speck among other specks, among still other specks in the middle of specklessness. I suck. Emily Thomas wrote an article. She is an associate professor of philosophy at Durham University. And she asked this question. Does the size of the universe prove that God doesn't exist? She says this. Clearly, there's a discrepancy between the kind of universe we would expect a human-oriented God to create and the universe we live in. How can we explain it? Surely the simplest explanation is that God doesn't exist. The spatial and temporal size of the universe give us reason to be atheists. And she quotes another philosopher 
of religion. He says this, Nicholas Everett, and he says, the findings of modern science significantly reduce the probability that theism is true because the universe is turning out to be very unlike the sort of universe which we would have expected had theism been true. As scientists and philosophers are looking at the vastness of the universe, they're not coming to the conclusion that's revealing a great God. They're saying, there's a lot of wasted space up here. If, if the universe is human-oriented, if, if, if humanity is the culmination of God's creation, he wasted a lot of space by making such a big universe. In fact, these people are later in saying this. There's a, a philosopher, a, a scientist, astrologer named Carl Sagan. He was part of the experiment that, that launched Voyager in 1977 into space. And in 1977, we, lost a, we launched a, um, a satellite into space called Voyager. It's the next image. And we launched it, and for 30 years, it went off into space, and in, or about 23 years. And in 1990, it turned around and took a picture of homeland, took a picture of our little solar system. And this is what was seen. And the scientists that saw it were as, about as silent as you are. Because you're like, what am I looking at? The next image shows what we actually are looking at. That's Earth. That's us. And as Carl Sagan looked at this moment of Earth in such a small speck on a sunbeam, he writes this. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you've ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor, explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint, every sinner in the history of our species live there on a moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Our posturings, go to the next slide, our posturings of imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this pale, this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint of help that will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. As scientists contemplate the vastness of creation, they say, there's no way there's a God. There's no way. It's too big. It's too much wasted space. God can't exist. But the problem is this. They haven't rightly understood what the Bible is saying. The Bible isn't revealing the greatness of us. The Bible is revealing the bigness of God. The Bible isn't talking about the significance of us. The Bible is declaring the significance of God. When you walk before something huge, you're not supposed to say, I look pretty big here. If you go to the Grand Canyon and stand at the the immense crevice in the ground and you stand there, you're not supposed to go, you know what, I'm pretty awesome. As you go to Mount Everest and you peer at the, the incredible peak, the, 
The, the amazingness of that huge, enormous Everest that has cost the lives of many trying to conquer its peaks. You don't stand at the base of Everest and go, you know what? I'm from College Station, Texas, and I'm awesome. When you see that immensity, you should feel very, very small. And when you feel very, very small, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. In fact, there's some astronauts that have gone looking at outer space. And as they get into outer space, they say, this is incredible. One of them was an astronaut named John Glenn. And at 77 years old, he was launched into space. And he looks over and he has what's, what many people call the overview effect. An overwhelming sense as they look at creation. And he says this, to look at this kind of creation out here and not believe in God is to me impossible. See, when we look at the vastness of the universe, when we contemplate it, we're not supposed to feel big. We're supposed to feel small. See, if the universe is about declaring the glory of God, a hundred million light years across isn't quite big enough, God says. If the universe is about declaring the bigness of God, huge red giant stars aren't big enough to declare it. As we think about the bigness of God, he is bigger than anything we can fathom. And what that should do is humble us to say, God, you are much bigger in this universe than I am. What do you want me to do? What are you doing in this world? What are you creating? And here's the beauty. God didn't merely create the universe to show you an overwhelming sense of awe. He writes himself into the story. God doesn't stand back and say, it's big, hope you find me. He comes to this small speck suspended on a sunbeam. He comes himself into history to say, I'm going to interact with you. I'm going to talk with you and I'm going to show you. I'm going to reveal what I am like. The creator is revealing himself to creation. It's the most beautiful interaction. And he comes to a small, insignificant people, the people of Israel, and he begins talking with them. One of those individuals is a man named Moses. And to Moses, he gave the Ten Commandments written on stone tablets to say, this is what I am like, and this is the type of society I want you to build, one in which people are honored and cared for, not where people are used and abused. And if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, here's what you would find. They are great rules. One of them, keep the Sabbath, meaning take a day off. Other ones, respect one another, right? Don't be jealous. Don't cheat one another. Don't steal. Don't kill each other. Okay, I've got four kids. And I'm trying to have like a, a general society in which we survive, you know? And these simple rules of like, respect your mama. Don't steal each other's toys. Don't murder one another. Like, these are good rules. If you were making a society, you would put those into place. And what God is saying, I'm revealing through my word what I want you to be like, how to interact with one another. And as David looks at these words, he says, they are perfect, meaning they're flawless. They're sure. They support. They, they, they're faithful. They're right. They, they make sense. They're not crooked. He says, as I look at the law of God, it's reviving. It's, it makes me wise. It makes me rejoice. I, I can enlighten. I, I, I see the world as it was intended to be created. And what David says is, I look at the law of God 
It is perfect. It revives the soul. It's the testimony of the Lord. I see how I should love other people. I see how life should work. The creator reveals himself to his creation. This is how I want you to love one another. And as we look at the law of God, as we look at the words of the law, what should happen is that word should affect us. As we study the word of God, we should approach the word of God like we approach a mirror. Now, most of you got ready this morning and you walked in front of the mirror. And most of you guys, you walked in front of the mirror, you looked at it, said, good to be the king, and you kept on moving, right? (laughs) But when we look at the law of God, it's supposed to reflect something of the character of God and the character of us. And so we're supposed to come to the law of God and approach it like most women approach a mirror, which is with the expectation of change. So you walk up, you're like, I'm going to dial that up, and you look amazing when you leave, right? Because you let the mirror reveal what was missing, and then you move to change according to what it revealed. The law of of God should reveal what's there. And when David looked at the law of God, he says this in verse verse 12. He says, as I see the beauty of the law of God, I ask myself the question, who can discern his errors? Declare me, make me innocent of hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I'll be blameless. He says, as I look at the law of God, here's what I see. I sin willingly. Presumptuous sins are those sins that we do that we like to do. Like, I contemplate doing the wrong thing. He's like, not only do I have presumptuous sins, I have hidden sins. I have desires and things I do that are not good, that lead me in a wrong direction. And and I wouldn't want anyone to have those. Those are hidden, concealed sins. I want to hide that shame. And he says, I want someone to declare me innocent from my faults. I want someone to acquit me. He's He literally describes a court of law. He says, I want someone to stand in front of me and declare me innocent. Because as I look at God, the immensity of creation, as I look at the law of God, his special revelation, I do a moment of internal reflection and I say, I am not who God wants me to be. See, revelation does three things. It first reveals our sin. Secondly, reveals our need. And Revelation, thirdly, reveals our need for a Savior. And what David says at the end of the psalm is this. He says, I need a Redeemer. I'm needing a rock and a Redeemer. What he's longing for is what God will reveal about a thousand years in the future. Someone who's a rock that can be stable and someone that can redeem, someone that can save. And some 2,000 years from this moment when David penned this psalm, God revealed himself and the coming of his son through a star. To some magi coming from the east in the stars in the heavens, they came following the star, looking for the king of the Jews. It records it in the gospel of Matthew, looking for this one that would, that would set everything right, that would redeem the world, that was coming, the new king of the Jews. And these men come to the foot of Mary as she's there swaddling a baby and they see the coming king. See, God has created an immense universe. And he's revealing himself through creation that you might know him and have a relationship with him. In the blackness of space, God spoke to create. 
and in the blackness of our sin, God sent his son to live the life we could not live in perfect obedience to God, to die the death we deserve to die, to forgive us of our sins. And he rose in victory over death so that we might live with him eternally starting today. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Have you contemplated the vastness of creation and the bigness of our creator? Have you looked at the word of God and said, man, I can't live up to this. And then have you come to your feet to Jesus who was revealed in history that you might have relationship with God? Do you know him this morning? More than anything else this morning, that's what we want you to know. He saves you from your sin and empowers you to live a life honoring to God. That is why you're here. In this moment, we are going to transition to table groups. And so our table hosts, who are so excited to to dig into this a little bit more and connect with you, are going to stand and and head. The rest of us, we're going to respond in worship. And I, I just want to give you a moment as you consider what we just talked about this morning. The bigness of God. For some of you, the the worship is going to be a point for you to respond easily. For others of you, it's going to be a moment where you you need to contemplate a little bit more about why you're here. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you so much that you created an immense universe. And the universe is not about us feeling big about ourselves. It's about seeing how big you really are. Lord, I pray that as we think about what we, where we are headed in life, the decisions that we're making in life, that we might see ourselves in comparison to the immensity of you. And Lord, I thank you that you did not, you did not stay distant in your creation, but you stepped into it that we might know you and love you and walk with you. Lord, I know there's many students here that have not put their faith in you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of their sins. And I pray that this morning would be that first time that we would put our faith in you. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we prioritize our lives behind the bigness of who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be. It's in your holy name we pray. Let's stand together and sing.